Thanks for listening. The following audio is a teaching from Calvary Tucson's Young Adult Ministry, Ignition. For more teachings, information, or if you'd like to support our ministry, please visit us online at ignitiontucson.com. We pray you're blessed by the message. Verse 13, so he stayed there that night, and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau. Uh, now, I'm going to read you this list of animals, and this just happened to be what he had with him, laying around. It gives you kind of an idea of how wealthy Jacob was at this point. He's like, oh, what do I, I got some spare change, and I got all these animals around me. This is, let's put together a little present for Esau. 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels uh, and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys, and a partridge in a pear tree. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) And these he handed over to his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, pass on ahead of me and put a space between drove and drove. And he instructed the first, saying, when Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, to whom do you belong? Where are you going? And whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a present sent to my Lord Esau, and moreover, he's behind us. He likewise instructed the second and third and all who followed the droves. You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me, and afterwards I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed that night in the camp. Now, many have, again, faulted Jacob, saying, well, he's, he's reacting out of fear and not faith. But I, I just want to, be, want to be clear here. I, I don't necessarily think he's completely in the wrong here. In fact, the Proverbs say what he's doing here is a, is a work of wisdom. And this is what I mean. He's exercising Proverbs 21.14, which says, A gift in secret averts anger, and a concealed bribe pacifies strong wrath. Like, there, there's a time where you can respond in wisdom by giving someone a gift. For instance, there are shallow people who are very emotional and quick to anger like Esau. And someone wise like Jacob can recognize, hey, it would be a ton easier to just give this attack dog a piece of steak than to go down on his level and quarrel with him on his level. Right? And so Jacob, I, Jacob is recognizing this wisdom that Solomon later on records. Like, it might be easier just to appease him with... If he's this emotional, shallow guy who's all angry and doesn't know why he's angry anymore, maybe he'll be just as, just as softened by gifts and to pacify wrath. And by the way, you can really see the difference here between Esau and Jacob. Esau is thinking, hey, I don't know what Jacob's intentions are. I'm taking 400 fighting men. What does he do? He's all brazen like, yeah, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to take my, I'm going to get ready for battle. But Jacob, on the other hand, what is he? He's slow to contend. He's slow to enter into contention. He's sending messengers, people who will communicate, people who will soften the blow if there is anger. Like this is wisdom. He's trying to avoid contentions. And this is commendable on Jacob's part. Imagine if they both acted like Esau. 
Jacob's like, okay, he's coming. All right, I'm going to get all my strongest guys, and we're going to go out there, we're going to face him. Like, they might end up getting into a war with each other when neither of them actually intended to do that or wanted that. And that, that often happens in relationships. The Bible says a soft word turns away wrath. A harsh word stirs up strife. Like you can easily come across harsh and all of a sudden you have strife with somebody you didn't even intend to have strife with. But a gentle word allays contention, softens blows, it makes friends, right? Proverbs 19.11 is what Jacob was doing. And that is good sense makes one slow to anger. And it is to his glory to overlook an offense. Proverbs 19.11. The way I remember that verse is because one of my favorite handguns is a 19.11. And so before you pull a 19.11 on somebody, exercise Proverbs 19.11, right? (laughs) Which Esau doesn't do. Proverbs 19.19 is Esau. A man of great wrath will pay the penalty, for if you deliver him, you will have to do it again. It's just how they are. Just an attack dog all worked up, but like you throw a steak at him and he's cool, he's calm. He'll go nibble on a steak. So Jacob throws a steak uh, Esau's way. Verse 24, and Jacob was left alone. And uh, twist in the plot here, very quick twist, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Every time I read this section of scripture, I'm like, that is so random. Where did the guy come from? Under what circumstances would he start wrestling with a stranger in the middle of nowhere, Jacob was alone, and then he starts wrestling with this guy. But who is this guy? Jacob doesn't know who this man is at first. Uh, it becomes clear to us as we keep reading that this is the angel of the Lord. This is God in the flesh. Verse 25, And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Now, Let's just consider this peculiar turn of events. Okay, Jacob is getting ready to face Esau and perhaps the fight of his life. Again, remember all that's at stake. The lineage, God's nation, the promised Messiah that would come through Jacob. All of this is at stake. And Jacob is, is distressed. He's reminding himself of God's promises but he's potentially going to have to fight for his life. And here this guy comes along, who we know to be the Lord, and he wears him out by wrestling with him all night, and then dislocates his hip, pretty much rendering him useless in the battle. And why on earth would God do that? Why, why would the Lord come along and be like, hey Jacob, you want a blessing? You want help? I'm going to make things actually a little more difficult for you. Why, why would he do that? Well, the Apostle Paul had a similar experience with what we know as the thorn in the flesh, right? God allowed Paul to have this thorn. It says that he sent this messenger of Satan to buffet him with this thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it was. But Paul prayed numerous times for the Lord to take it away, and he would not take it away. And in, in 2 Corinthians 12, we get God's answer, his reply to Paul. And he said that, He wouldn't take it away. He says, For my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. You see, as God God prepares Jacob for what could be the end of his family, the end of his own life, the fight of his life, 
God cripples Jacob so that he would be completely reliant on God's grace in the situation. And in doing so, he gives us the picture of salvation. The fight of your life is before you. You will face death. And will you receive eternal condemnation or eternal salvation? I hope that's a question you ask yourself regularly. And I hope you know the Word of God enough to know that there's nothing you can do to win that battle for yourself. But, and, and that's because you've, you've, God didn't need to cripple you spiritually. You, we, we crippled ourselves pretty, pretty good. But nevertheless, God's grace we can depend on. God's grace has won the fight on our behalf. He cripples Jacob so we would, he would have to rely on God's grace. Deliverance at this point would be 100% in God's hands. And those are the odds that the Lord likes to work with. So, and I, and before we move on, I just want to say that it's, it's somewhat ironic that, um, that people will take unfortunate circumstances like this and difficulties like this and use it as an excuse to rebel against God or to not believe in God or to walk away from God. Well, they say things like, if God, if God was really loving, if God was really good, why would he let this happen to me? Fill in the blank. Why would this have happened, this tragedy or that injury or that horrible event, right? Why would he allow these things to happen to me? But how do we know, guys, that God doesn't have a perfectly good and even loving reason for allowing that tragedy to take place, for allowing that difficulty to take place. How do we know that? He doesn't have a good reason for it. How do you know that that limitation God has placed on you isn't the gra- actually the greatest blessing of your life? How do you know? This, this crippling, this limitation in Jacob he comes to realize is a, is a part of God's blessing for him as it causes him to rely on, on the Lord. And I understand that's not, that might not be emotionally satisfying to say, well, God's working goodness in it. But I want to tell you, though I, don't, I can't tell you exactly why those of you who've gone through really difficult circumstances, what God in detail is doing in that, I can't tell you, I don't know. I wish I knew why. I wish I could spell it out for you so it would all make sense for you here and now. I can't do that. I can tell you two things, though. Number one, I can tell you that God doesn't delight in your difficulties. God doesn't delight in your, your, your trials and your sufferings. He doesn't. In fact, He grieves with you. He, he comes and, and wants to bind up the brokenhearted and comfort the brokenhearted. God doesn't delight in the difficulties that you face. I can tell you that. And the second thing I can tell you is that God will never waste your suffering. In other words, if God has allowed you to experience difficulty and suffering, He intends to use it for an even greater eternal purpose. So that if you had to face it in this life, it will result in the praise and glory and honor of Jesus Christ, but a a greater eternal weight of glory on that side of eternity. So much so that when you get to eternity and you see the eternal byproduct of that that suffering, that was so horrific in your life. It says, Paul says, they're not even worthy to be compared to what they result in in heaven. That God is working these difficulties, these sufferings, to our eternal good. And really to the, to the good of those around you. He really is. As, as your faith shines like gold 
through your difficult times. So understanding this whole concept that sometimes God's blessing is a crippling. Sometimes God's greatest blessing is a limitation. As we understand this, we should, we should come to that point of maturity to be able to say, Lord, do whatever it takes to keep me secure in you. Do whatever it takes to keep me dependent on your grace. Even if it means crippling me. Even if it means taking me out of the, out of the fight. I trust you with these things. I trust that you are good. I trust that you know what you're doing with my life. I would rather, I would rather enter into heaven crippled than enter into hell being the picture of fitness and having a beautiful life with no difficulties at all, coasting right into hell. I would rather have a difficult life of suffering and end up eternally in heaven. And so would, the Lord would rather have you in heaven as well. The Lord is more concerned with your eternal security than he is with your temporal comforts here and now today. And so God knows enough to know when it's time to cripple you, when it's time to lift you up, when it's time to bless you, when it's time to maybe take away. And we can trust him with these things. So he cripples Jacob in the midst of this blessing. Verse 26. Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, which means strives with God. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Now, here we get another good example of prayer from Jacob, and that is persistence. He was persistent. He was wrestling this guy for this blessing, and he was not going to let go until this guy blessed him, right? And that is a great picture of us and how we should wrestle with God in prayer. Jacob didn't, he didn't overcome God to where God succumbed to it. And that's not the idea of persistence in prayer that you just keep doing it. And before you know it, if you fast enough and pray enough, you're going to obligate God to answer your prayer. That's not, that's not how this works. But how it works is that there are things, good things that God desires to bless you with, but he desires you to receive those blessings through wrestling, through persistence in prayer. He desires to give them to you, but he desires you to receive them through asking and asking and asking. And so Jesus actually gives us this example when he said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And in the, the original language there, it's actually a continual tense, meaning ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking. Knock and keep knocking. And it will eventually be opened to you. So I, I, I want to ask you now, what good things, what blessings might you be missing out on right now in your life because you asked one time and, and stopped. Because you, you asked the Lord one time and you're like, ah, maybe he doesn't really want that. Maybe he doesn't really care. And you just stopped asking altogether. You stopped. You weren't persistent. You didn't wrestle with God regarding that issue, regarding that desire. How many blessings have we missed out on? But it's here also that this other significant event happens, and that is God changes his name. God changes the name of of, of Jacob to Israel and also names his, his nation. Now, the Lord, just want you to know, the Lord doesn't go around changing people's names every time he interacts with people. Like, you don't, don't feel like you got to change your name because you got saved and there's a new calling on your life, okay? When God does change somebody's name, though, it's significant and he's seeking to say something through that name change. Do you remember when he changed Abraham and Sarah's names just a few chapters ago? Their names were Abram and Sarai, and what God did was he enhanced 
the promise of their name, the meaning of their name. He's like, no, no, no. you're, You're thinking too small about my plans for you, Abram. And so to remind you that my plans for you are Farther, far greater than you can imagine, I'm going to change your name to Abraham, father of many. Like, more than you even realize. You think you'll have these kids, but you'll be the father of many nations. He changed Sarai's name, which meant little princess, like this endearing term, to Sarah, a, a legit princess, a bonafide royalty in the kingdom of God. He enhanced their names, meaning their, his promise and plans for them were greater than they even realized. We see this with Jacob as well. What's your name? He says, well, Jacob, deceiver, trickster, surplanter. And God's like, yeah, that's how people know you today. But from this day forward, that's not how people are going to look at you. People are going to look at you and remember you not as the one who tricked your dad into blessing you, not as the trickster who is selfish and gets what he wants. People are going to look at you from this day forward and realize you're the one that wrestled with God and received a blessing. You're the one that wrestled with God persistently and God blessed you because you were diligent to seek after God. That's, what, that's how people are going to remember you this day forward. Verse 29, Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And then Jacob's like, Well, I don't know. I thought you asked my name. I thought our relationship was going to the next level. I don't know. I just thought we were getting to know each other there. No, he says, why, why, is it that he, why is it that you ask my name? And it, it reminded me, when I first read that, it reminded me of Judges chapter 13, when the angel of the Lord appears to Samson's parents, and he explains to them that they're about to receive a special son. And then the angel of the Lord reveals himself by consuming the sacrifice on the rock, and they freak out. And after it all, they say, hey, what is your name? And the angel says, how is it that you ask my name, seeing that it is wonderful? In other words, it's, I can't just tell you my name. It's too good. It's too wonderful. Okay? Of course, we know the prophecy in Isaiah 6, 9 that says, Unto us a son is given, a child is born, and his name shall be called Wonderful. It's Jesus, the angel of the Lord. But the Lord might also be answering him this way as though to say, Jacob, why are you asking me my name? Like, you know who you're talking to. This isn't the first time we've had a conversation Right? And maybe just Jacob didn't realize this whole time that it was the Lord. And he's like, you know, why, are you, why do you ask my name? And there he blessed him. The Lord blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, which means face of God, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. So Jacob beats this man in a wrestling match, a man who he thought was he must have thought he was special. He wanted this man to bless him. Maybe, maybe he had the impression this was a holy man, similar to Melchizedek or something. But now he realizes this was God in the flesh who could have easily taken his life. Right? He, he went from feeling pretty good about his wrestling skills, like, man, I, I did pretty good against that guy. He was pretty burly too, and I, I think I handled myself, to realizing he just tangled with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and he's lucky to even have survived messing with God that way the angel of the Lord. But not only is this a picture of Jacob's tenacity to receive God's blessings, he's got that persistence and that tenacity. This is also, unfortunately, a picture of the nation of Israel as they would continue to wrestle against God throughout the ages 
through rebellion and idolatry and legalism, uh, they would continually wrestle with God. And God would continually cripple them as a shepherd does the sheep that runs off. As you've probably heard the analogy, and he, a good shepherd will take a, a disobedient sheep that's always running off because it doesn't know what's better for him and will break their legs and then will keep that sheep with them as their legs mend and they will be closer to the shepherd than ever before as he mends their legs. And this was the story of the nation of Israel time and again, crippling them, judging them, then bringing them back into God's mercy, bringing them back into a relationship with them until the very end this will take place when, as we know in Romans, they will eventually be saved. They will eventually be delivered. The book of Romans tells us all Israel will be saved. They will ultimately be spared from judgment. So even Jacob here prophetically states his life was graciously spared. So in the end times, the nation of Israel will be spared by God's grace because they will put their faith and trust in Jesus as their, as their Messiah. It's going to be an amazing moment. Verse 31. It says, The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Um, so this event, so significant to the history of the nation of Israel, that they memorialize it with this tradition of not eating this particular piece of meat on the chicken leg or cow leg or whatever. I always just pictured it was the chicken thigh, maybe because I eat too many chicken legs. Uh, and I don't eat a lot of cow legs. That's, maybe they eat cow legs. Lamb, rack of lamb. I don't know. Let's go with the chicken. Is that cool? We'll go with the chicken. So they don't, they don't eat the little tendon on the chicken leg as though to say it's a symbolic uh, memorialization of what happened to Jacob. And it would be really effective if they wanted to pass down this story to their kids. Because for one, the dinner table is an awesome place to pour into your kids truth and disciple your kids. Uh, those of you who will be parents understand that coming together as a family at dinner time is very important. Like, don't be one of those families who the, they eat in the living room and they eat up in their room and, and they eat while they're standing and they're cooking. Like, be a family that comes together. And particularly you men who are called to lead your family spiritually, take time to instruct your children in the way at the dinner table. But this is when it would take place. It's a good time it would take place. And as they're eating this chicken leg, the dad, the moms, they would instruct the kids as to why, hey, oh, we don't eat it that way because we leave this little part alone. Well, why, daddy? Why do we do that? Well, because God's promise to Jacob, because of what Jacob did. And it would, it would forever be an opportunity to talk about the faithfulness of God, the blessings of God, and God's promise for the nation of Israel. And for those who trust in And every time those kids ate a chicken leg growing up, they'd be like, oh, it's like, Jacob, I can't eat that. I can't eat that piece right there. Now, the unfortunate side of these traditions is what? Like, you become more concerned with the tradition itself, and you lose sight of the actual meaning to where your religion becomes how you eat a chicken leg <laughs> and not about God's promises. And we do see that happen as well with the nation of Israel, how, as Jesus rebuked him, you, you transgress the commandments of God for the traditions of man. So we need to be careful that we don't do that as Christians, but that the traditions we do have we keep the heart of them. We keep the root, the purpose for those traditions. But guys, in closing, just know, guys, that God's work in your life, in my life, will often feel like a wrestling match. It's not all butterflies and rainbows. It's not 
always easy. The work God wants to do in you, the eternal work and maturity God wants to bring about in you, is oftentimes a wrestling match because you have the, sp- the flesh and the spirit and they war against each other. And God's work will bring about conflict for you in the spirit and in the flesh. So just understand that is, that is the territory you are in, that you're entering into in a life of faith. And guys, it's okay. It's okay because thankfully God is patient enough to take the time to wrestle with us. This is the God of the universe. Like, he could be doing anything. Why would he waste his time wrestling with old Jacob here? And like actually letting Jacob kind of like get him in the, in the headlock and noogie him and stuff like that, right? He's pay, God is patient with us. He will take the time to wrestle through issues with you. He can handle your emotions. He can handle the hangups you have in the flesh. And he's patient with you. And he's willing to come alongside and even wrestle you until you learn that lesson. Wrestle you until you're strong enough to overcome that obstacle or that struggle. He could destroy us, guys. God could destroy you if he wanted to. And sometimes it feels like he's trying to as we wrestle with him. But that's not his intentions. His intentions are to help you. His intentions are to bless you. Even if that means he takes away. God is using the wrestling matches that you're experiencing, guys, even in the season now, not just to make you better and stronger, but more importantly, to help you be dependent on his grace. Okay? So as you think of the difficulties right now in your life, just take a sigh of relief knowing that you have God's grace in that circumstance. Okay? You have God's grace. So don't let the struggles discourage you. Give grace. Understand that God's grace is sufficient for you. Amen? Let's all stand and let's pray. And Father, we are blessed to know, Lord, through the example of Jacob and through the accounts of the Israelites, the ways in which you interact with man. And to know from all these stories that above all, you are uh, patient and slow to anger, abounding in grace and mercy, Lord God. And so we come to you tonight with difficulties, with struggles, with emotions that do tend to take us over. And we want to entrust you with these things. We want to be open and transparent before you and let you have your work done in our hearts and lives. God, give us the strength, the courage, the wisdom, and the ability to align what we feel with the truth of your word. That we would be able to reject the emotions that result from lies and be able to root ourselves in your love and in your grace and allow you to wrestle in our lives and allow that work uh, to be done eternally and spiritually in our lives that we would mature even as Jacob matured in you, Lord God. And that we would walk away from each wrestling match a little more blessed, a little more conformed to the image of Christ. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.